Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Brazil, Australia, Israel, and two see you in hells, that is, two celebrations of dead fascist figures from the past. One of them is from the United States, and the other one is from Germany. Starting out with the United States, let's start out with the big news in right-wing shit in the United States this week. That is the developments in Trump's potential indictment. Now, Donald Trump tweeted over the weekend that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. That didn't happen, and it hasn't happened on Wednesday so far when I've been recording this podcast, and it is unlikely to be happening until probably sometime next week. As a reminder, what Trump is possibly going to be indicted for and therefore arrested for is his payments to the former porn star Stormy Daniels. Now, Daniels alleges that Donald Trump and some of his attorneys paid her hush money in order to cover up an affair that Trump had with her while his wife was pregnant. So as a reminder, again, this case is not about any of the political crimes that Donald Trump has committed. This is like bog standard rich person pays hush money to cover up something untoward type stuff. But what's happening is that Donald Trump is under investigation by the district attorney's office of Manhattan. And the grand jury that will possibly bring this indictment is meeting this week and also next week. Now, because grand jury meetings are in secret, Nobody really knows exactly when this indictment is going to be happening. They don't know when they're meeting. Obviously, some people do, and some of that information is getting out. It's possible that Trump has gotten wind of some of that information. But also, probably what really happened is that he tweeted over the weekend that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday in order to control the narrative right? He wanted to confuse people. He wanted to make people disappointed in the process. And he also wanted to be able to claim that the prosecution, the people who were going after him, are politically motivated, you know, that they are trying to time this well, right? However, the, the real thing is that the, the Manhattan DA is very serious about this. Trump is very probably going to be indicted for this crime, which means that he will be charged with a crime and could face some legal consequences. Trump has said that he wants to do the whole, like, arrest, mugshot, handcuffed thing, like for optics, I guess, in order to be able to claim to be the victim in this situation. Frankly, I doubt that very heavily. I think it's probably a lot more likely that what will happen is that an unmarked car will leave a building through the back entrance and go to a police office somewhere. There were small protests held against Trump's potential indictment in Manhattan, but there were also bomb threats against the Manhattan District Attorney's office. So, as this indictment moves on and as it possibly gets resolved next week, as, as Trump is possibly actually indicted on these crimes, it's possible that there will be more developments on this front. Moving on to the fight in the Republican Party over the potential nomination in the 2024 presidential campaign, Ron DeSantis is trailing Trump horribly at this point. The most recent poll that I saw showed DeSantis down by over 20% against Trump, now, this is very early days, so we really don't know exactly what's going to happen. But the fact is that things are not looking good for DeSantis's ability to dethrone Trump. But we'll see if Trump being indicted for a crime has anything to do with it. Finally, a smaller news story in the United States. The former singer of the Misfits, that is the sort of punk metal band, has testified on behalf of the Proud Boys. Now, this is not Glenn Danzig, the, the, the original leader of the Misfits. This is one of their later ones, a guy named Michael Graves. He said that he was asked by the Proud Boys to perform on the January 6th rally. That is the one that eventually 
ended up being this attempted coup, right, to take over the United States House of Representatives and prevent Donald Trump from losing his position as the president to, you know, to hand it over to, to Joe Biden. So Graves is claiming that the Proud Boys asked him to perform at this rally and that this is proof that they were not planning a coup, right? You know, who would invite somebody to sing at a potential coup? Well, people who are trying to hide a coup. I mean, that, that's who would do it. Moving on to Brazil, just some updates about the current situation in Brazil. Jair Bolsonaro, the former president of Brazil, is facing 16 court cases, and all of these court cases might make him ineligible for running for office in Brazil of any office of any kind for eight years. His supporters, including his son, Senator Flavio Bolsonaro, uh, many of his relatives are involved in Brazilian politics. So his supporters claim that this would be a travesty for Brazilian politics and that it would be unjust and unfair, that they're going to try to fight all of these cases. Moving on to Australia, neo-Nazis have been protesting at the Parliament House on Saturday in Australia. The organization that was protesting was the National Socialist Network, and they showed up to support an anti-trans rights rally in Melbourne, the capital of Australia. This rally was being held by a British citizen who is an anti-trans rights activist. She is a sort of right-wing figure in this capacity, and she was supported by several other hundred protesters, in addition to these neo-Nazis. They had some engagement at this protest with the police and with counter-protesters, and also, you know, threw up typical Nazi salutes and Nazi symbolism. This is coming in the wake of a rise of right-wing organizing in Australia, and especially a rise in Australia of anti-trans politics and anti-queer politics. For example, there was another attack on queer rights activists who were protesting an event that was being held by Mark Latham in Sydney this week. Now, Mark Latham used to be one of the leaders of the Australian Labour Party, Australia's centre-left party, but he has since left and joined One Nation, which is Australia's right-wing populist, you know, anti-trans, anti-queer, anti-immigrant party. Moving on to Israel, the Israeli finance minister Bezazel Smotrich the leader of the religious Zionist party, has claimed on the record that there are, quote, no such things as, quote, the Palestinian nation, Palestinian history, or Palestinian language, end quote. Now, this is part of a ramping up of the anti-Palestinian rhetoric, the sort of racist and apartheid rhetoric being committed by a lot of the extreme right-wing parts of the Israeli political coalition that is currently in power in Israel. The new government of Benjamin Netanyahu has been moving increasingly further to the right wing for several months at this point. They're trying to overhaul the judiciary in Israel in much the same way that Viktor Orban has in Hungary and in much the same way that Jair Bolsonaro tried to do in Brazil and somewhat mirroring the way that Donald Trump was very, very, very serious about packing federal courts with right wing appointees. This escalation of anti-Palestinian rhetoric, however, is part of a prolonged push towards increased settlements in formerly Palestinian territories in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Moving on to the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, is experiencing a very weird hearing about Partygate. 
Now, if this is something you missed, Partygate is the big scandal that took down Boris Johnson sort of finally. He had a bunch of scandals that sort of bubbled up a lot, but Partygate was one of the big ones that really ended his position as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Partygate refers to the fact that it became apparent, it, it, it was made public, that Downing Street, the residence of the Prime Minister and the site of his major offices, that Downing Street held parties at the very beginning of the COVID-19 lockdown in the United Kingdom. So that is in early 2020. This was when the United Kingdom's government was telling people not to go to funerals and to not go to work and to not go to church and things like that. At this very same time, the Prime Minister's office and the Conservative Party were holding parties, like, like, like festive events, you know, with champagne and presents and pizza and things like that. Boris Johnson's defense about these activities is that he did not know that he was breaking any rules, which, as many commentators have said, is just sort of like a known liar, that is Boris Johnson, a known liar saying, well, I didn't know that I was lying. So that is a defense. That's his defense. It is unlikely that this will work, and he will probably face even more serious consequences than losing his position as the leader of the Conservative Party for these activities. Moving on, I'm going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week we got a twofer. We got two dead right-wing figures. We're going to start out with Robert Shelton, who is the leader of the civil rights era Ku Klux Klan. Robert Shelton was born in 1929 in Alabama. He spent some time as a small business owner and small business operator, you know, running tire stores and things like that, in his hometown of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Now, Shelton's life as a right-wing operative begins in the 1960s. He started a new Ku Klux Klan organization after the first big one fractured. This is the one that was existent in the 1940s, the 1930s. That one fractured after the death of one of its founders. And so Shelton, along with a bunch of other people, created a bunch of new sort of successor clans. The one that Shelton ran was called the United Clans of America, the UKA, and Shelton founded it in 1961. And his position in it was Grand Wizard, which is typically the title given to the person at the top of a clan. Within four years, by 1965, it was the largest clan organization in the United States. The UKA was the subject of a major Southern Poverty Law Center lawsuit, which regarded its involvement in the lynching of a black man named Michael Donald, by a white man named James Knowles and several of his accomplices. Now, Knowles and his accomplices did actually face criminal charges and consequences for their involvement in this killing. In fact, one of them was executed by electric chair the first time that the death penalty had been carried out for white-on-black murder in the state of Alabama since the early part of the 20th century. However, the SPLC did not believe that this was sufficient, right? You know, they, they wanted to take down the organization that aided and abetted this murder, the United Clans of America. And so the SPLC conducted a civil suit against the UKA on the part of Michael Donald's family, the, the, the murdered black man. This civil suit won, and it granted Donald's family $7 million from the United Clans of America. The United Clans of America, of course, did not have $7 million, and so they had to turn over their headquarters property and a bunch of other properties to Donald's family, namely his mother, who then sold them. Robert Shelton did not receive any particular personal consequences 
for this murder or for the ultimate end of the UKA as a result of this lawsuit in the early 1980s. He remained an unapologetic racist and a lifelong believer in the mission and ideology of the Klan organizations of the United States. That is, until he died of a heart attack on the 17th of March, 2003. The second person that I want to talk about this week is a person named Heinrich Schwartz, who is in charge of one of the sub-camps of the Auschwitz concentration camp system. Schwartz was born in 1906 in Munich, and he joined the SS, that is the major paramilitary organization of the Nazi party after the destruction of the SA. He joined them and the Nazi party in 1931. That is before the Nazi seizure of power and after their like long period of doldrums. So sort of like a, a middle joiner type person. He served the Nazi party and Germany in the Western Front of World War II. That is against France, Belgium, the Netherlands, places like that. But after the victory in the Western Front, he was restationed at various concentration camps starting in late 1940. Schwartz held various positions at these camps, working under the main runner of the Auschwitz camp, which was, as a reminder, a massive compound. It was not just an extermination camp. There were a bunch of sub-camps, many of which were primarily organized around forced labor. And so primarily what happened at these camps was that people would be worked to death in addition to having other people who were being systematically murdered uh, without having been worked to death beforehand. By 1943, Schwartz was given a major boost in his career as a mass murderer. This is because the administration of the camp of Auschwitz was divided, and he became commandant of Auschwitz III, which was also called Monowitz because of the town that it was in. This was an enslaved labor camp rather than one that was dedicated specifically to killing, However, Schwartz, in his running of this camp, was apparently especially interested in killing people from overwork, killing tens of thousands of people, primarily Jewish people, because of overworking them in his forced labor system. Schwartz was not able to escape justice for this, fortunately. He was captured after the war and was tried and convicted by French authorities on crimes against humanity. Not those that he conducted in Auschwitz, because Auschwitz was located in what is today Poland, but instead ones that he committed when he was in Alsace, when he was serving on the Western Front in France. It was for his engagement in crimes against humanity as runner of concentration camps and prison camps in Alsace, French territory, during World War II. So as a result of this trial and conviction, Schwartz was convicted to death by firing squad, and he was killed by French authorities this week in history, the 20th of March, 1947. So, Heinrich Schwartz and Robert Shelton, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you listen to this on. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks very much. And I will talk to you next week.